Okay, it's recording. Give me a second. <laughs> Darn it. I, could, I, I don't know why I keep forgetting to do that. Do it, forgetting to do what? Pause it so that I know when we're starting to do it. You'll just have to find it now. You know, I don't care. I'm leaving it in there. I'm leaving the blooper. I'm leaving the mistake. We were talking about, <laughs> we were talking about this person over there that's awesome. Uh-huh. This art, in case people don't know, is from the Shackleton Expanse Guide and uh, a story called Bacchus Irresistible Call. Um, I'm not going to even talk. It's too good to talk about, so I'm just going to skip it. Um, um, but by, I can at least uh, say that this is Continuing Conversations, which is uh, everything Star Trek Adventures. There's so much to talk about. We can't possibly talk about it all. Um, and so it's really amazing feat that myself and Jim on a weekly basis can manage to keep it down to like 30 to 40 minutes and, and <laughs> less for these because we could literally stay up all night oh, uh, right. talking about <laughs> these chapters. So thank you for tuning in. We appreciate all of you. Again, I'm Michael Dismuke, a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures and a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures. Jim, talk to us about yourself. I'm Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for Star Trek Adventures from Medivius Entertainment. So any anything that you see in the books that you don't like, it's my fault. Okay, so I have to ask. Speaking of books, all those books behind you—have you read every single one of those? I have to ask. Since you have uh, most of them, there, there's a, there's a few. This is a wait, it's over here. Uh, this is all my uh, my current uh, hotness is uh, the colonial era, U.S. colonial era. I've read probably three quarters of them. There's still a few I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, mm-hmm. All this is uh, ancient Egypt uh, over here, ancient Egypt, and uh, down here is um, medieval, uh, mostly Templar stuff because the Templars are fascinating to me. I've read uh, I've read most of those, or at least skimmed everything. So now I have to ask you, in all of your uh, years of Star Trek Adventures, have your characters traveled back to the Templar, Colonial, and Egyptian eras? Uh, no, but I've used elements from all of this stuff in my episodes. So uh, whether my players realize it or not, I've, I've made, because I, I, I'm, I'm the mythology and history dude, so I bring all that stuff into my games one way or another. I always try to ground it in something um, historical, mythology, mythological, or you know whatever. It all, yeah, informs, all informs my stories. That's the thing I like about Star Trek. You can literally go anywhere in the universe. It's science fiction at its best. Mm-hmm. You can go back to all your favorite time periods and create adventures there, which is great. That would be an interesting mission briefs. I'll talk to you later, Jim. <laughs> write it down on the post-it note so you don't forget. <laughs> wow. I'll watch this again and then I'll write it down when I watch back on this. But hmm. okay. Anyways. Uh, we're here to talk about advanced things like advanced operations. We're in chapter seven of the player's guide. And um, let's just jump right in. What was the purpose of chapter seven, Jim? Uh, So there's a similar chapter in the game master guide. This is uh, the chapter I challenged uh, primarily Nathan, but the rest of you all uh, as writers too, uh, to to take advantage of the last four years of this game being out on the market and uh, being played by you know, hundreds of thousands of people all around the world and all that insight, all that stuff that we've learned along the way, whether it's been answering questions or or tweaking rules or trying to understand the rules better, seeing how they actually work in play. This provides just a wealth of information about using the existing rule set more effectively. It's not, it's not, at least in this chapter of the player's guide, 
It's not about adding new rules, really. It's about using the existing rule set effectively as a player and, and you know, answering some questions and, uh, and just, you know, adding a fresh layer of insight over what we already have. Yeah. For example, chapter 7.1 about attributes and disciplines. This is a fantastic chapter. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, the attributes would be controlled during fitness insight presence reason. And the um, focuses, or excuse me, the disciplines would be con command, con, which is flying the ship or navigation, stuff like that, science, engineering, medical, and security. Okay. And so you have the attributes and disciplines. And, and to segue into this discussion, because people are like, well, what goes with what? If I want to do this, what do I use with that? We had this amazing conversation on Facebook social uh, the other day for Star Trek Adventures. And a fan asked if they're playing poker, what attributes would apply? And it created mm -hmm. this attributes and disciplines would apply and it created this fantastic conversation of all the creative ways people would use because if i said well if you're like a doctor you could use psychology um in order to try to figure out the person maybe noticing their blood pressure and maybe tells and stuff like that you know body language so you really could use like insight plus medicine and then someone else <laughs> someone else was saying yeah but you know say for instance you know you're a security officer and you know how to intimidate people with your card play and you could use like you know daring plus security and then somebody else said yeah but you could be you know an engineer or a scientist and count cards and you could yeah. use reason plus science you know and so it was just great Great to see um, that this game opens you up to all kinds of use of the attributes and discipline in creative ways. Wasn't that a great conversation? I don't know if you saw it or not. I did. Yeah, I didn't have a chance. I don't think I responded to it, but I read, I read it and I was like, yeah, this is this is exactly what you want because it's not just using strength for everything. It's not using your dump stat to ignore it, right? Like there is no dump stat in Star Trek Adventures. It's just it is entirely dependent on how creative the players and the game master are at approaching different problems, right? And that's what we see on Star Trek week in and week out is, is the characters getting creative and using their skill set in new and different ways to, to solve issues. And I think I think this chapter really hits that. It really goes into more detail on what the, the different attributes and disciplines mean and how you can combine them in different interesting ways. And uh, especially if you have a, a game master who leans toward the yes and kind of spectrum, uh, it just makes it, it makes it such a more dynamic game experience for everybody. Totally true. Totally true. Again, another piece of gold, and you even colored it gold on page 208 <laughs> and 209, um, are the ratings for each one of those um, attributes and mm -hmm. what they mean, depending on the number you get. And so I thought this was really cool because if you're modeling characters, like say, for instance, if there's not a character sheet out for your favorite show, maybe like Star Trek Prodigy, and you have these new characters that aren't modeled in Star Trek Adventures, but after watching a couple of episodes, I'm trying to get a feel of what their stats may be. I can go ahead and use this chart to, to kind of figure that out. Right, Jim? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, because everybody wants to have some sort of sense in their head of what what, is, what do the numbers mean? What, so I'm a seven strength. What does that or a seven fitness? What does that mean? Or I'm a 12 fitness. What does that mean on a you know general kind of scale? And so we provided these two tables uh, just kind of as, a, as some guideposts. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to make it work so that it's on a two-page spread. So when you've actually got the book open in front of you, these two tables will be on facing pages, right? So you can just crack open the book, put the bookmark there, and you know, you're good to go if you need the, you know, the, the, uh, the help.
Yeah, totally excellent. Again, one of the best things about all the, all the books that are designed um, in the Star Trek Adventures line are the inset boxes. And I tell people, if you, I, I talk about the different ways I read the book sometime. yeah. Sometimes I go through and I just read the inset boxes because mm. there's little treasures in there. So there's one about awareness um, in here. Talk to us about why you put that one in. I think, uh, I think this was Nathan's attempt, uh, like he and I were talking and it was like, well, you know, one of the, one of the things that, uh, is a real challenge in a lot of RPGs is like, you know, the game master's like, okay, you're, you're going through the forest and, you know, I, you know, the game master maybe wants to surprise you with an ambush or something. It's like, uh, how do you, how do you do that and say, okay, well, roll perception, but, but how do you do that without tipping off the players that something's going to happen? Right. And so this awareness sidebar kind of like talks about that a little bit um, and about what attributes and, uh, and uh, disciplines you might use in that, in that respect. Good. And going along what you said about yes and, there's the box that says what are you doing versus how are you doing this. I know I encourage my players. Um, don't I, you know? Can I do this? It's like wait, wait, wait. No, you're aware of Star Trek. I play with some pretty advanced players. It's like you tell me what are you doing to find that answer. And I thought this book was a really good supplement to that style of play, which is really good. Again, a lot of gold in here. I'm going to go in. I'm going to focus on the inset box on this one and then sure. throw you over to talk about the chapters. The matter of telepathy. Oh, hmm. this was a great box that's needed. We know that one of our favorite Star Trek characters is a telepath, uh, mm-hmm. Vulcan, Mr. Spock. And, and a lot of characters like to play characters that are empath, empaths or telepaths or extrasensory perception. So this is a very great box that extends, that, that extrapolates how to use your attributes and disciplines in different ways, depending on how you're employing telepathic powers, which is really cool. Yeah. Yep. Also useful for, uh, for NPCs that you want to throw at your characters who have some sort of um, meta metaphysical extrasensory, whatever you want to call it, type of ability. Um, I know some of the characters in the Shackleton book have have uh, telepathy and telekinesis. So this kind of like helps the game master and the players kind of like, well, how do I actually use it other than just like hand waving it and making yeah. it work? For those of you who want to bring in a different genre and you want something that's akin to pushing things or messing with minds, and that's your kind of style of play, well, there you go. You can start introducing that love. You know, uh, let's be honest. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they they go between Star Trek and Star Wars. Some of us love them both. Some Mm -hmm. of us like one more than the other. But if you have people who maybe have four friends who are into Star Trek and two friends who are into Star Wars, well, maybe let them look at this chapter and say, okay, let's let's give you a little bit of the force, you know, if you want to. So again, infinite diversity and infinite combinations with Star Trek role-playing right. is totally fun. All right, there's some highlights too. We go through those uh, command discipline or the disciplines of Star Trek. Talk to us about that, Jim. Uh, where, oh yeah, so we, yeah, like I said, uh, we talk about the attributes. Of course, the attributes are, are key for the characters. And of course, the, the, the different disciplines, uh, you know, command, con, medicine, engineering, et cetera. How is all that stuff relevant? And you know what what we did a good job, I think I think here is that we mapped like how do you use each attribute with each discipline in interesting ways, right? Like in getting at those combinations so that you know science officers aren't always stuck using reason plus science. There's ways that you can do different things. Like you don't have to just be myopically stovepiped into just using those that combination forever, right? There's there's ways to be more more creative with it so we we try to provide some explanations there yeah what each of these do and and, you know each paragraph talks about okay here's security here's security plus fitness here's security plus um you know uh daring here's security plus fitness etc just to show you how each of these combinations 
can create a completely different character and it just you know shows you how flexible the system can be if, if you approach it that way. It really is. And and this is also, you know, maybe after reading this chapter, some players are like, oh man, I wish you maybe you've been playing two or three games and and you read this and you're like, man, I wish they were leaning more in that direction. Well, the flexibility of Star Trek Adventures is that after each game and that with discussion with your game master, you can start tweaking it in this direction. Yeah. You can yeah. evolve your character to where you want it to be, which is one of the most flexible game sisters systems I've ever seen to be able to do that so quickly. Yeah. I'm playing week after week. Um, again, going on to chapter 7.2 about systems and departments, I'm going straight to that inset box, which drove me crazy. I was like, yes, I needed to see this in writing. And it's about automation. Talk mm. to me about this box, Jim. I should ask you, why do you like it so much? Okay, I'll tell you. All right. I got <laughs> So, so we see it on every show where for some reason, you know, the characters are stranded and they have to ask the ship to do something. It could be a runabout that they teleported down, to, transported down to from, and now they need an emergency evacuation, but they didn't leave anyone on the ship. Well, mm -hmm. these are advanced computer systems, artificial intelligence in the future. And, and some of these ships can keep themselves alive or operable for decades, if not hundreds of years, we've seen this. And why? Automation. So now there's a new homebrew rule here where you can have your ship make the, the lead role. And I loved how it was written. It was everything I was looking for. Um, and I hope my players start using this a little bit more in the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really cool. So, All right, and what, else, what were your highlights from the systems and departments chapter? I mean, the, you know, the highlights, again, like we did for the, the previous chapter where we talk about the what's important to the character. Now we're talking about what's important to the ship and, and how that inter integrates and interacts with the characters. Because, of course, the ship itself is a character and uh, and you need to be able to um, be creative about how to combine the different ships systems with the ship's departments and how you don't always have to have it be um you know, computers plus science. It can, it can, you can get you can get more creative with that. So you know, you've got the six, you know, thirty six options with the player players and their ability, and you've got thirty six more options with the with the ship. And like, and then you can start combining them in all kinds of ways. And I'm not a math major, so I don't know how many combinations that is, but uh, it's a lot. And it's just there's just so much you could do here with it. And we we just try to lay it out in a descriptive kind of way of like, here's things to think about. And we just throw in some some nuggets of gold here on every page and just hopefully, you know, something, you know, sparks an idea and, and hits the light bulb. Like if we do that, then mission accomplished, you know, if we, if we get you thinking about things in a different way, then, yeah. uh, you know, make use of it. Yeah. This, this game, I'll, you know, just say it's, it's all about really it's story first mm -hmm. and, and the mechanics are nice when you need them, but, but you don't always need them. And if you do using them in interesting ways, as this chapter points out about attributes and disciplines, um, branches out. It shows the richness of Star Trek, mm -hmm. um, and how much is involved in what they do. These, these most brilliant people in the universe. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Now let's go on to traits. Uh, we focus on traits in chapter 7.3. Um, for those of you who may not be aware, um, traits, I call them scene dressing. So it's kind of like these are things that at the beginning of the scene are truths of what's going on. It could be the smell, it could be the spatial conditions, it could be the attitude of the players, it could be the diplomatic relations are breaking down. So this is the scene that the characters are walking into, but you had an inset box again, I'm inset box today, about <laughs> fictional positions. So talk to me about fictional position. This is the first time I ever heard the term. 
Uh, gosh, I, I, yeah, I should I should have reread the chapter before we got into this episode because you're asking me these questions about, oh, what's this mean? What's this mean? It's like, oh, shoot, man, it's been a year since I've read it. <laughs> well, uh, fictional position is something that Nathan talked about in his uh, in his game design circles. That's a thing that's been talked about about where the um, you know where is the character in relation to the the construct of the fictional world that they're built in, and and how does that character relate to the to the to the fictional world that they're in, right? And so we're talking about traits, you know, traits is a, is a game component of things that are true or not true about a character or a location or a situation or a piece of equipment or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that is, you know, present or persistent, whether it's temporary or permanent, um, that can have an impact on the, on the character or the story or the plot or you know, whatever. So um, we're just it's trying to get dress. it. Yeah, it, 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 to me, I, I didn't think of it like that before. Once I read this chapter, it launched a big uh, discussion with my group about how every time the game master sets a new scene, and this is in the court rule book, they can reestablish the traits. Yeah. And so what you're doing is pushing the story along. So if you did do a cutscene, for instance, and the last scene was a cave-in, then the game master, without spending any threat, can set up the next scene as communications uh, not working, you yeah, know, yeah. because the cave in did something. So, so it creates um, an unexpected, you know, situation for the characters. So, for those of you who are players, reading this chapter help, gives you a better understanding of traits and not, you know, throw a tantrum, but be like, okay, this is the challenge that the game master is posing in this opening scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and make that, it, 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 for me as a game master, it tells the players exactly what's wrong and shows them where to focus. So they're not going down rabbit holes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also a way to, uh, to add character um, um, elements, right? So like, as as your character progresses through the campaign or through the through the through the series or whatever, if something monumental happens to them, then that could become a trait. Maybe, uh, and I think a, a good example, just off the top, of my, actually I can think of two. One is Worf's discommendation, right? The fact that he became discommendated or accepted discommendation that becomes a trait because that's going to have an impact on all of his relationships with Klingons, right? They're going to meet him. They're going to know. You are the one who accepted this commendation. You are, you know, without honor, you're scummy or whatever. Okay. Uh, the other example is uh, Stamets. Once he, once Stamets accepts the tardigrade DNA and becomes the um, the navigator for the for the ship, basically, that's that's an important trait that is now part of his character permanently until you know some new techno babble thing comes up and it's taken away from him. <laughs> uh, but uh, th- those are just big important traits that are relevant to those characters that are worth memorializing in some form of game mechanic that gets added to the character sheet. Nice, nice, good. And then of course that moves us to the next chapter. Anybody who's followed me on continuing missions for, for years knows that one of my favorite elements of this game is values. And we talked about it during the game master's chapter on values, but what I like about this play, the focus on the player's chapter here from the player's book is it talks to the players about how to create values, but then also to evolve their values through play. So this is a must-read chapter um, for players. If if you're a game master and you just bought the player's book, copy paste and sit, have your players read this at least. You know if they don't have their own copy, but but it really does a good job of defining values. Yeah, I mean, really, uh, this is this is the yeah yeah values are the heart of uh, characters in Star Trek, and I think values are really the heart of Star Trek Adventures as a, as a game, because more than anything else, it's it, more than anything else. Ideally, the game is about 
your characters doing things and how does their doing things change them and impact them and 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 force them to confront or or to uh, you know reflect their values or confront their values and force them to change right because like people change right no matter what happens to you day in and day out something will happen and you may end up rethinking something or you may maybe reinforce your values this this is like i mean really in a microcosm values and the way the values change that's almost the advancement system in this game it's not you're not mechanically advancing your character you're psychologically changing your character to go from one one perspective to another or one mindset to another. Um, So yeah, I think values are super, super critical. And, you know, to be honest with you in in the games that I've played so far, I don't think I've leaned into values enough because I I don't think my players have, it hasn't always occurred to them to challenge their values on a regular basis. Mm. Uh, It might be on me as a game master to not present enough opportunities for them to challenge them. But I think uh, the next time I run a game, I'm going to lean even heavier into the values and and how important they are because like that's that is the essence of their characters and i should be challenging those i'll give some advice just from personal experience um i let my players when we were first forming the team at any point change their values at first and the reason why is because we haven't seen them put under pressure yet and so sometimes you'll catch as a good game master a skilled game master you're going to hear them say something very strong maybe how they feel about uh, children being in prison, you know, and what they would do and how they would break Starfleet directives to make sure they're t- safe or or when they would violate the prime directive and why. And I'm like, that's a value. We should, that should be on your sheet. And, and so you'll catch through normal, if you put them in those right kind of Star Trek situations with socio-political angst and philosophy, once they start talking about the values, you're like, why don't you write that one down? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's what we do. And then when I, as a game master, what I do is, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pick on them and see really how strong <laughs> they feel about this. And I design my games with confrontations like that, you know? Nice. Um, so values to me make the game, uh, the more we play and I'm, we talk about it all the time, the more we play, the less we're rolling dice and the more we're acting. And it's really yeah. fun. Um, I know I wrote the chapter on focuses, <laughs> um, which is my second favorite part is, is the science and and um, all the technical skills that these Starfleet characters have. Um, yeah. Do you want to highlight anything or do you, <laughs> what you liked uh, about? Why would you allow me to write this chapter? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I thought you had the knowledge that you need that you need to write it effectively. And I thought you did a, a very fine job of it. So uh, any any highlights here about the chapter that you want to point out? Uh, sure. So again, just like values, um, focuses are not forever. That was one of my key things is that I have to consistently remind players is Starfleet officers are some of the most well-trained, well-rounded, mm-hmm. intelligent people in the universe. Just because you don't have a specific focus doesn't mean you know how to do it. And just because, just because you don't have a specific focus doesn't mean you don't know something on the subject. And just because you have a specific focus doesn't mean you don't know anything else. And so um, we really talked about that, including a homegrown rule that I played in my game that I said, well, let me put it out here in the book. And that's on page 236, switching a focus during an adventure. So if somebody has a saved milestone, I let them actually use it to even switch a focus during an adventure. So one of our characters really needed the Romulan language badly during an episode when they were cast back in time, 120 years and put into the body of a of Romulans. <laughs> They're like, oh, I happen to know Romulan. <laughs> <laughs> and it did save their hide. Um, so, uh, you know, I put in fun stuff like that and a lot of examples in here showing how Star Trek characters like Captain Picard, Jordi LaForge, Sylvia Tilly, how 
they exhibit their different focuses and their different evolution of character throughout the years. So, so it's nothing to be shy about, but you should really run into it full, full forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then for those people who are really trying to get some cool focuses, I put a section in here about how to create focuses that make your character unique and where to really get ideas from not only from watching Star Trek, but pulling ideas from maybe your favorite movies, TV shows, science documentaries, searching the internet, typing in like a list of sciences. That's going to keep you busy all day, I guarantee you. Mm -hmm. And um, or even modeling a character after yourself. Are you into fitness? (laughs) Do you like unicycles? Do you happen to know a lot about worms? Okay, make those three of your focuses. And a good game master is going to say, man, I have to create an adventure about worms and unicycles. And, you know, uh, I love when my players give me obscure focuses. And I really literally do. Um, I literally do write adventures around them, whether it's golf or or um, uh, ancient earth literature. I will write adventures that focus in on that. Yeah. 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 I think, I think this was a great section of the, of the, of the chapter that you wrote. And one of the things that I I reflected on when I was editing, editing it was that, uh, that this shows you the, one of the potential things about the game is like how far down into the depths you can get with characters. If you're willing to put in the time and effort, like, I mean, yeah, if you're a player and you're casually playing, you can pick the, the low hanging fruit of focuses, right. And, and just, and have a perfectly competent character. But if you want to take it to the next level, you know, invest a little time, do a little bit of research, think more, you know, deeper about what this character can do. And maybe it's it's not just, you know, hand weapons, maybe it's hand weapons from a particular culture that or a particular, you know, period of time on the planet, like, you know, ancient Klingon hand weapons, as opposed to like, my, of course, all the same. But, you know, just anyway, just they all cut and it, kill. <laughs> Like 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 <laughs> the the best Star Trek characters I've seen in, in, in a role playing game have been because the players were invested in the game and invested in the characters and were willing to take that next step and that next dive down into the characters to get those next the, those that next level nuance and and focuses is a great place to do it and the great thing about focuses is like what you were just saying Michael about that alternate rule is if you're playing for a few sessions and you decide oh this is a dumb focus I'm never going to use it. Swap it out. Come up yeah. with something cooler, or or maybe the circumstances of the game gives you an opportunity to come up with a new focus. Right? Maybe you encounter a new alien species that has a really cool, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, tactical game or something, and maybe you want to like you that you latch onto that and you focus on that and you swap swap out one focus and you take that focus. It just showed it's another way of showing that character's evolution. Um, right. well, I put how seven of nine, she learned Tsunkatsi on Voyager, yeah, you know, exactly. and, and then I put another example, you know, to talk about your digging deep point. And again, I want people to really focus on, you're only giving your, your game master, uh, a gold recipe to work with is <laughs> if most, a lot of people have seen Wrath of Khan, the second movie. And I was like, well, okay, you could have weapons technology as a focus, but what if instead you had Genesis device history or terraforming or weapons of mass destruction as your focus? Now we're going to have some TV shows here when you yeah. focus on a character who's a specialist in, in something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, feel free to explore that this chapter digs into that. And of course the following section um, was meant to jumpstart people's creativity where I dug into some really, what I felt are obscure focuses and would make some really cool um, adventures. What are, what are some that you like? What are a couple you like? And I'll highlight a couple of my favorite ones. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just tell you, I I know you wrote all this and uh, 
there were a couple of times because of course i do most of most of this work late at night so i was sitting back editing this at like you know i don't know one in the morning or something and a couple of these a couple of these maybe stop and go like would anybody ever really pick that and i'm like wait a minute these are supposed to be esoteric examples just kind of out there that just show you the possibilities and then i was like oh michael did a great job on this because you got really creative with some of this stuff like courting rituals really what okay i got yeah, but then but then the gm brain started coming up with ideas and i was like oh he did he did the job because now i'm sparking all these ideas off and i need to find these and these what character just, was an expert on courting rituals yeah Come on. who yeah who? I mean, that's that's perfect. Uh, that's uh, that's anthropology one one, right? I mean, it's it's all right. But we actually have established Star Trek characters. I wrote that yeah. based on a specific character, Lwaxana Troy. Uh-huh. She was an exactly. expert on courting rituals. Yeah, yeah. So court, uh, that was one of my favorite courting rituals. Uh, catastrophism, catastrophism, catastrophism in science. That was great. Just uh, um, you know, like you, you know, you had this hobby or, or as part of your studies to think about you know catastrophes and like oh how's that going to have an impact on the culture uh, you know and we see that all the time on star trek right there's their son's about to go supernova or the planet's experiencing planet-wide earthquakes and it's about to explode or whatever it's like you got to deal with the psychology of the people um so yeah i thought that was that was a good one and there's there's one other one what was it um i, I just want to add to cat- catastrophism yeah. we have a character our first officer on our ship has it and because it, we matched it with the um, Strange New Worlds mission compendiums, uh-huh. and a lot of those had to do with these godlike beings. Oh, yeah. Um, they were using it to notice that every one of these cultures had an end of the world event and was trying to create this Uber story for their part of the galaxy, like mm. what was the correlation between all of these Armageddon events. And so yeah. it, it's a continuing, it, it's a continuing theme in our game. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I think the last one I the last one I appreciated was uh, uh, pharmacology. And I think it's because I was also editing the Shackleton book at the same time as this one. And I was working on that whole subplot with um, with Dr. Tolliver with her uh, with her dependency on one of the uh, uh, Star Trek medicine. I can't I, I just blanked on the on the there's a there's a there's a there's an illicit drug substance. Um, uh, not pandemic, but there's a, there's a thing it's going in, on. It's in the trade ledgers too. I wrote yeah. into trade ledgers. Yeah. yeah. I forgot. Anyway. So I was like, Oh yeah. A character who's got a focus on pharma- pharmacology might, might pick up on that and might be able to do something with that whole plot line. And uh, so I, I appreciated that you added it. Cool. Yeah. The two, the, the, the three I'll highlight because you highlight some of my favorites, but I'll bring these out chemical and biological weapons, because I was just thinking about how often in Star Trek um, they talk about, you know, these horrible weapons that are made of mass destruction. And so an expert in that, um, not only, you know, but that also maybe small explosive concoctions, like, okay, they're, they're trapped somewhere and they have just enough of each chemical to escape. Pickpocketing is fun because it's a skill that includes, you know, magicians hiding cards and things like that. But maybe you want your character to have a, 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 something that's not an official science, but still that can swipe someone's weapon in a battle without them noticing it. So they think they have the upper hand and you actually have their phaser. Um, yeah. And then the other one that was fun is something everyone loves. I think a lot of people love animal behavior and that can go from, OK, you have a pet dog like Archer did. You know, he may have had uh, animal behavior. He had he had his uh those trained, but it could also go, you know, you're interacting with these animals and you're able to figure out when you're on alien planets, you know, herding, migration, all these different things, and maybe taming some of these wild animals, which could be a very fun game concept if you're on a planet of wild creatures. And we saw that happen in uh, Kelvinverse uh, when McCoy had got, was riding that beast that Kirk went and phasered and knocked out. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's a little animal behavior going on there, I thought. 
Cool. Yeah. So that's fun. Again, between values and focuses, you can make very complex characters and then the icing on the cake. Talk to us about talents, Jim. Yeah. So this, again, this is uh, primarily Nathan uh, taking advantage of uh, his wealth of uh, knowledge about Star Trek and also just game design over the last four years working on 2D20 systems and, uh, and wanted to add in a bunch of new options for talents. I think I encouraged you all or him specifically to come up with at least, you know, 20 or 30. And I think he delivered, I think, a total of 40 new talents. Uh, so this is just another just gigantic pile of new stuff to add to your characters to make them even more diverse than what they already were so that you're not just relying on the same ones from the core book and the other supplements. Now you've just got even more possibilities here for your characters. Um, I don't know that I have any really good examples. I, I will admit I haven't read this recently, and um, I'm not actively playing a game, so like I haven't had these in my face recently, so I, I don't remember exactly what all's in here. Um, I, I remember them all being cool when I looked at them the first time, so I, I'm going to ask you, like, if you're more uh -huh. familiar with this right now, like, what, what are some of your highlights? Well, I know because one of the assignments you gave me for something I can't speak about because I'm on a non-disclosure agreement was to try <laughs> to incorporate these into some future products. Uh -huh. So so you'll be glad to know that I did um, yeah. because some of them were right on target. The one that I really liked, which is fun, was Zero-G Combat. I think that's super cool um, as a battle, uh, as a as a um, talent. One that I don't know why it wasn't in the original rulebook was Transporter Chief. <laughs> I was like, oh, of course. Why was that not in the original one? And then one that cracked up that I think was before its time. And I don't know if Nathan somehow had an insight on uh, Star Trek Prodigy was percussive maintenance, basically beating <laughs> something, <laughs> beating something into submission until it works. Um, so there were some really cool, fun talents in here that to me really would 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 round out your character. And these are just so rich and specific. You know, some people want these. I, I warn the players, they want these broad talents to cover them and get them out of every situation. I'm telling you, if you make your character down to the needle point specific on their values, their focuses and their talents, gold for the game master. I guarantee, and you, you, will, you will rise as a star in the game. I just am mm -hmm. so positive about that now. Cool. All right. Anything more on that or should we move on to momentum and keep the momentum going? Uh, no, although I will, I will note that uh, we we did include uh, some esoteric talents, so extrasensory perception, psychokinesis, telepathic projection. This is just getting at some of that, some of that 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 element of Star Trek that uh, that other than Spock, you don't really see a huge amount of, except with maybe Kess, um, where where there's just other stuff going on. There's other possibilities. It's not magic, you know. And you see a lot of in TOS though. In TOS, yeah. you do see a lot more of this stuff. Yeah. With people getting pushed and eyes turning silver and stuff. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought, I think it's very appropriate in Star Trek to include these. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Let's keep the momentum going. And um, there's a lot of, there's a <laughs> no lot. No pun intended. Of, yeah. There's a lot of, again, tidbits and candy in this chapter as I look at it. Um, one of my favorite ones what that I think is underused by players is creating problems um and it, what that means is you know we know about create opportunity so so oftentimes momentum is spent um in order to get certain benefits during the game um but creating problems against opposing characters um and, and you know basically creating complications on them is something that i don't think 
my characters personally use enough. So why just run through the door when you're being chased? Why not create a complication and blow up the the, the keypad so that it slams down and gives you gives you gives a, a complication to your opponents to get to you? Mm-hmm. So I, that's one of the things I like. I, I encourage my players to take a look at this chapter and really spin that momentum in creative ways. Yeah, I think that's the that's the that was the big thrust of this of this chapter was to uh, in to to get players out of the mindset of like momentum is a precious resource we have to hold on to it mm-hmm. because there's so many opportunities to 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 gain momentum in the game spend it do stuff with it make make wow. make it more interesting and create problems create opportunities you know obtain more information do stuff with that momentum don't let it be just a wasted resource especially when you you know lose one after every scene right if you have a dynamic game and you're doing scene after scene after scene after scene that that momentum is going to be a, a, a you know a mill a, re, a revolving door almost and yeah. uh, you know take advantage of it spend it because your game master is not going to be afraid of be spending their threat and uh and, or you know or, or you know using it for eradication but because you have a limited um quantity of momentum you know, spend it effectively. Don't don't just hold on to it like a like a precious thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> like use it. And we're just yeah. trying to give you more ideas on how to use it. Well, my players definitely do. They are not afraid to spend it and earn it. And it keeps me on my toes, that's for sure. Yeah. Cool. Then we move on to equipment, chapter 7.8. Um, again, a lot. Uh, this is the final you know, section of the of the entire book. Um, and it's focusing about how to get equipment um and how you know, it talks a little bit to the game masters and how you're going to charge the players for certain type of things, what's standard issue, uh, things that can be easily replicated, um, or if things are bulky and cumbersome, really how to deal with that. So this allows players, um, in my opinion, to really weigh the costs of, do I really need to pack the whole truck to go on an away team mission? Mm -hmm. What do you think about this chapter? Yeah. Again, you know, by and large, if you're watching the shows, like equipment is, not really that important, right? You like you got it. It's a set dressing. It's a thing in your hands to do something with while you're on the screen. Uh, you're solving the problem usually with your brain and your your intuition and uh, and your creativity. But it's just a way, like for those players who need the backpack with the ten foot stick and the caltrips and you know all this all this right. stuff that they bring with them. It's like, well, if you if you need the gizmos and the gadgets, this is this is a you know a way to help you. Uh, Kind of a, kind of address that. Well, I, I'll admit, I had a player once who uh, brought a lot of gizmo and gadgets, and the first time, and so just to make a point to them, since I had a lot of threat, why not strike an earthquake with you know rolling boulders that shatter most of their equipment? Oh no! You know, and they were like, "Well," I'm like, "Hey," they have, and then the next time. They, they came in fully armed. Well, you know, they added so much threat to the pool. Well, one of their away team members had to die. <laughs> so, and so it's like, hey, you add the threat, it's more threatening the situation now. And I think they kind of got the point. It's like, this is standard Star Trek. This isn't Star Wars. You know, we're not mm-hmm. stormtroopers blowing up over here. Right. And any, any wrap up, of, Jim, this was the final section of the player's guide. We went through the game master's guide. We went through the player's guide. How are you? Feeling? Wow. What a journey. Well, it's just great. I mean, especially because we haven't, I haven't looked at these books for a little while now because uh, uh, I've just been focused on everything else that we're working on. Um, but no, I mean, I, I just hope that uh, I hope that we did a good enough of a job, you know, you know, introducing people or, or reminding people about what makes Star Trek great, what makes Star Trek Adventures great, why it'll be fun to play this game, all the huge variety of options that you have available as players now to take, you know, the core book and just expand on it, not just you know, new stuff for your Starfleet characters, but, but new types of characters to play, right? Yeah. Like, like right now, literally 
like originally with the core books, you could kind of kludge other characters that weren't Starfleet into it by just, you know, changing things around. But now we're actually giving you some meat and some rules and some mechanics. So the, those of you who are really like focused on what's written as opposed to what's possible, now we're giving you some more stuff to play with. And hopefully this just expands the 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 games that are out there and i just can't wait to see what people do with it i'm, I'm just so excited about about this book in particular and uh, and those character options and just to see what people do with it now yeah and like i said when i when i was re- writing my sections and it ended up matching well with the other sections i wrote it for a 13 year old niece that yeah. that no you know basic knowledge of star trek but here read this so you can understand some concepts and they're like I get it. Let's go. You know, and so it's really to make the game easier for both the game master and for the players. This is the the ultimate uh, guide to do that. And so I was what a privilege to work on it. And it's something I keep rereading and rereading um, just because it's such a fun read um, when you play RPG as much as we do. So with that said, um, I want to do our normal shout outs again. Um, Star Trek Adventures. um, It's nothing without the fans and the brick and mortar stores that also support and survive out there, even through the Mm -hmm. pandemic those who came out of it. So I want to do a shout out to a couple today. One is to one of our uh, Star Trek Adventures writers, Fred Love, wrote some great, some a lot of writing in, in these books um, and also some modules. He goes to Mayhem Collectibles in Ames, Iowa. And also I'll throw in there John Brent Masick, who is a big supporter of Star Trek Adventures on Facebook. Um, games and stuff in Glen Burnie, Maryland. Okay, so that's in your Excellent. neck of the woods, right? Not too far, not too far from Virginia there. Yep. Um, so shout outs to them. Any shout outs for you today? Uh, yeah, well, you know, now that we've wrapped up uh, talking about the player guide and the game master guide, I want to give out a, a shout to uh, Mihao Cross. He was the uh, designer who designed the layout for these two books, like the overall look and feel of the of the book to bring it to something different that we than we've had in the line so far. We took out the Alcars, uh, the tr- traditional TNG Alcars, and I challenged him to come up with a more like universal franchise kind of look and feel. So he did a great job on that. And then a uh, shout out to uh, Roxanne Thompson who is one of our uh, freelance uh, graphic designers at, at Modifius. And uh, this was, I think, her first like big book project for us. Uh, she had done a lot of layouts for the uh, standalone adventures and the mission briefs and some of the crew packs. And uh, just the way the schedules worked out, she had the opportunity to do this, these full-blown books. And I think she, she took Mihao's design and, and adapted it to the manuscripts we provided and i think she did a fantastic fantastic job so can't thank her enough for all the hard work that she put into it because i know we did a lot of um of uh, revision cycles just to get everything to fit right and to you know to get everything i mean it's just a huge I mean, we could spend an hour talking about just that part of the of the game uh, of the game process design uh so, but so yeah so shout outs to Mihao and roxanne for all the hard work they do behind the scenes that 99 percent of the fans will not care about or know about they just see what the, they see the end result. And right. uh, I just want to emphasize how much work goes into creating a product like this, not just for Modifius, but like across the industry. It's a huge amount of work to actually make something look like this. <laughs> well, I, right. I've, you know, I saw the digital copies. They look great design, but I also am seething and drooling because I'm seeing mm-hmm. people get their physical copies. I haven't got mine at the time of this recording and the, and just the covers on them. I want to yeah. touch them. So they look so well designed. Yeah. So I can't wait to get my hands on those copies. Mm-hmm. Um, again, excellent products from Modifius. Star Trek Adventures uh, ma- matches the elegance that is Star Trek. 
um, so that we can we can play that game and continue doing it. Future episodes, we're going to have a lot, uh, just so everyone knows. Yeah, we finished the Game Master's Guide and the Player's Guide, but mm-hmm. we're going to be doing more Session Zero because people really liked it. They wanted us to see, see us go a little further with that, with our green group of new players, um, some of them. So we're going to have more Session Zero. And also you can look forward to as more releases come out and there are more than we have time to make shows for um, and talk about, uh, we're going to try to keep up as best as possible um, with the new the new releases. And again, more interviews with uh, Star Trek talent and fans and what they have to say. And it just keeps going and going and going forever, kind of like the universe. You got it. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, Jim, you have a great evening and we'll see you the next show. All right, Michael, thank you as always. Looking forward to the next one. Uh, live long and prosper. I D I see. Oh wait, see every time. Oh. I see. I see. <laughs> I'll get it right next time. Peace. Peace.